What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's a new year, and I have a new podcast here at The Ringer, Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi. Austin and I go way back and talk so much hoop already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on all of these conversations. Every week, Pasha and I will hit on the biggest stories happening in the league and get Austin's perspective of someone currently hooping in the NBA. Tap into Off Guard every Friday on The Ringer NBA Show feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome into Power Rankers. Austin Gale here with Jason Goff and, of course, our producer, Carlos Chiraboga, who's going to be rooting on his Miami Dolphins in the playoffs, which I don't know, man. I'm worried. I'm worried about these Miami Dolphins. We'll get to them a little bit later. This is our last Power Rankers show of the 2022-2023 NFL season. It's been an absolute treat for all those who are listening. Obviously, I appreciate you guys. An absolute treat to work with you guys, Carlos and, and Jason. I'm excited to get back into the show, and um, hopefully we're doing it again this time next year. For the introduction where I wanted to start, is an NFL. We're obviously coming off the national championship in college football. The biggest blowout in national championship <laughs> history. The biggest blowout in national championship history. Georgia was celebrating Stetson Bennett's career as a bulldog with 13 minutes left in the fourth quarter. TCU, who's still playing a football game, had to look across the field and say, oh, wow, they're... Uh, they're really giving them giving them a show here. And then they did the same thing for the defense, calling timeouts and celebrating. There's a tweet, there's a clip of the Georgia defensive players stealing a plate of wings from a fan and eating them on the sideline. It wasn't necessarily disrespect, but it was one of the most comfortable, no, not one of the most comfortable win in college football history. I know you were covering the Bulls game and you had some other things going on. Just give me an opportunity to get on this platform and, and, and drop, drop my rant here. The college football playoffs is going to get extended into 12 teams very soon. And there are a lot of college football diehards that do not want to see that happen. And they are leveraging last night's game, this big blowout, to say, and you guys wanted more teams in the playoffs? This is what's going to happen. No, the reason Georgia is 60 points better than the number three, number four team in the country is because the BCS championship has been what it's been for so long. And because the playoffs only got extended to four teams, right? If you wanted to put... Bama in this one every single year, like we've done with the BCS championship in years past, you're just going to continue to have this polarization of recruiting talent. Extending it out to 12 may throw more variance into the mix, may throw more variance in that you get a sneaky Cinderella team, just like we saw with TCU upsetting Michigan and Ohio State nearly upsetting Georgia. But over time, you know, 5, 10, 15 years, I do think that you'll start to see NCAA football look a lot more like NCAA basketball and that there's more than two blue bloods more than two dominant teams where there is no there's no there's no, no team in college basketball that exists that's going to see a national championship and win as handedly as Georgia did against TCU. So I, I do think that last night was more of a 
argument for a 12-team playoff. So you could see other teams that consistently make the college football playoff, just like teams that consistently make the national, um, you know, the basketball tournament in March. That's what I think this the, the league needs to go to, man. Because if not, you're just going to continue to see Georgia, who has, here are the numbers. Georgia has 15 five-stars. Mm -hmm. TCU has one. TCU mm -hmm. has one. That disparity can't exist if you're going to ever, if you're going to ever have a more competitive playoff situation in, in college football. I don't know what your reactions are to that. I, I, I'm just such a proponent of this 12-team thing. And if you're using last night's argument to say, like, this should be back to the BCS, you're just wrong. I, I, I think that's false. Well, I haven't heard that, to be honest with you, in terms of going back to the BCS and, you know, sports don't contract, right? There's too much money involved. They're, they're not going to have less games because there's so many people getting paid now. And you, you exactly. double dip with the Rose Bowl people and, you know, the, the rotating bowl system. But in the end, it's, it's about recruiting, right? It's about winning in December. It's about winning in February and then, you know, matriculating that to the field. And <laughs> you got you got four star dudes who haven't played a snap for Georgia defense this year. Right. You got guys who 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 are going to be pros in three years who are still redshirting right now. So uh, until that disparity uh, is broken up, which I don't see any time in the near future because of what the NIL has done for college football and college basketball. I mean, the reason why it's going to happen, it wouldn't happen the same way in college basketball. It was just a sheer number situation where you can recruit one dominant freshman exactly. and make a tournament yeah. run. But when it comes to SEC football, especially, I mean, you, I got a chance to work uh, in Atlanta for two years and what recruiting day and what uh, you know, bulldog football means not only to that state, but to that region, then, you know, you have some teams that haven't performed well as of late, the University of Florida, Florida States, the Miamis of the world, where all of that talent is now going to Ohio State, going to the Big Ten and, and, and trying to figure its way out elsewhere. You got all that West Coast talent that, you know, stopped going to Oregon and starting to go back to USC. So we'll see some of the, the, the quote unquote blue blood programs work their way back into this thing. But in the end, it's about winning in December it's about winning in February. The last five recruiting classes for the Georgia Bulldogs have all been top five. I don't believe TCU had higher than a top 22 recruiting class over the last five years. That's where that game was won and lost. You beat a plucky, you know, Michigan squad who plays a different brand of football than Georgia or any of these SEC schools do. TCU didn't have to really worry about any maulers. You know, that's where the SEC wins. And that's why you see so many people get drafted in the first and second rounds off these SEC lines of scrimmage because the SEC depth at defensive line and offensive line, the talent that comes out of those areas and come out, comes out of those schools is, 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 is not matched by any other conference. So yeah, until you see that kind of separation until you see guys starting to go to the big 12 more, I mean, it's, it's all cyclical and, and some of these rainmaker coaches are going to have to go different places and different regions to bring that talent out. But until then you got Kirby smart having a, a chokehold on the game right now. Yeah. Oh, well, two more comments and then we'll get to the NFL. I, I do think that a 12 team college football playoff does give other teams more opportunity in December, right? It gives, if you make, if you're, if you're a team that consistently is making the college football playoff in a 12 team format, that gives you more juice in December, period. Whereas teams that aren't making the college football playoff consistently, which is pretty much every non SEC team outside of like this TCU Cinderella story, it gets harder and harder to out recruit some of those powerhouses. So I'm interested to see how that happens. And then the other thing I'll mention too, if you want to talk about maybe some variance and, and some unfairness, you have a month to prepare for the semifinal and a week to prepare for the final. A month, I think a month to prepare 
for a Georgia like Ohio State had, you can maybe you can maybe make some plays, right? You can make some plays as an underdog and find some find some creative ways to kind of you know keep that game close. Same thing for obviously TCU with the upset over Michigan. Then you have to flip it around for a week and go play the freaking Georgia Bulldogs. Not gonna happen. Not gonna happen. It's gonna be really difficult. I'm interested to see how like that how, how that like time disparity changes with the college football playoff being extended out to uh, 12 teams. In the NFL, we're gonna talk a lot about the playoff teams, the 14 teams in the playoffs. I wanted to get before we get into those playoff teams. Who you feel were the best not I'm not talking about best records, it's not that simple, but like the best teams that did not make the playoffs. Some of the teams I have listed here, you could look at the Detroit Lions, you could look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, Green Bay Packers, Patriots, Jets, maybe in the conversation. Who do you think was the best of the non-playoff team? Well, I mean, uh, the, the Lions story obviously is is outstanding. You know, Dan Campbell when he got hired, everybody's like, "All right, this will be the A to B guy and then you'll get people in there when this thing starts to run." He's got a staff full of former players and a, a bunch of brothers who are angry in that culture and that 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 character resonated with this squad all year long. Even when they couldn't stop people, they, they were still, they didn't have that pushover feel on the defensive side of the football, even though they were getting ran over. And in this last week of the season, when the Packers had everything to play for and the Lions had nothing to play for, I, th- I thought you saw some true grit in Lambeau Field for a team that's getting ready to, to make some noise in the NFC North. So I'm I'm right there with that Lions vibe. And of course, man, Mike Tomlin, what more can you say about the dude? I mean, th- the way this team started this year with the project at quarterback, getting rid of one of the big targets that they drafted in Chase Claypool, George Pickens, you know, dealing with the ups and downs of a rookie season. And then on the defensive side of football, you didn't have TJ Watt for a large period of the season and you still finished the year above 500. You were in the play playoff running the last couple of weeks of the season. They just didn't have enough talent to get over the hump. You know, Mike Tomlin, we, we talk a lot about coaches in this league and and, and the, the Andy Reeds and the Kyle Shanahan's and the Sean McVay's and those dudes all deserve their credit. But I don't know if you need to look anywhere else in terms of seeing a guy who's, you know, Steelers fans wanted to let go of this last couple of years because they thought maybe they needed to hear a different voice in that locker room. All I know is he turned around a team that seemed dead in the water to have them in the hunt at the end of the season. So for me, it'd be Mike Tomlin Steelers and it'd be Dan Campbell's Detroit Lions. It really is just those two teams. It's Detroit Lions, Pittsburgh Steelers. You can maybe put the Packers in there, but you just can't lose. The Green Bay Packers can't lose at home in a game where the Detroit Lions have nothing to play for. They find out 40 minutes before kickoff. They can't make the playoffs, and they still lose that game. Detroit Lions get in their absolute back. Ben Johnson, offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions, is unleashing bubble screen hook and ladders, every bag <laughs> of you know, every trick in the bag to go yeah. beat the Packers. I thought it was super impressive. And they did not make the playoffs. Both their offensive coordinator... Ben Johnson and their defensive coordinator, Aaron Glenn, are being mm-hmm. interviewed for head coaching positions. They didn't even make the playoffs. That's how impressive this Detroit Lions team was this year. And then for the Pittsburgh Steelers, 7-2 and two in their last nine games to maintain Mike Tomlin's superstar record of never having a losing season. Top five offense and efficiency, top five defense and efficiency over their last nine games. I wanted them in the playoffs, man. I think they could have done more damage than the Miami Dolphins. Sorry, producer Carlos, man. I, I think they could have done more damage just because Obviously, the two are talking about low injury, and that's where we'll probably go to next. But I thought this Pittsburgh Steelers team was red hot defensively and offensively, really finding ways to, to win games. Like I said, 7-2 and two in their last nine games. Speaking of Aaron Rodgers, where do you think he ultimately ends up in 2022? There are some odds out, some betting odds out that if he doesn't go to the Packers, some of the teams in the mix, Raiders are the favorite. Maybe rejoining Devontae Adams, Jets. Colts, Titans all tied at plus 500. Panthers at plus 700. If he does not go to Green Bay, which he admittedly has a contract that Green Bay would have 
a lot of difficulty to trade. I think if they trade him after June 1st this year, they still eat more than $30 million in dead cap. If they trade him pre-June 1st, I think they end up losing money in 2023 cap, no savings regarded. But if he is traded, if he does force his way out of Green Bay, are, are there teams that you think make the most sense for him in 2023? The storyline that I would love the most would be him going back to the Bay and hanging out with Kyle Shanahan and the San Francisco 49ers. Now, of course, wow. you've, got, you've got all the draft capital that you inf- that you invested in Trey Lance, right? And Jimmy Garoppolo did what he had to do for you this season. And thank you, Jimmy. You move on from there. And Brock Purdy, of course, is the, the darling, the sweetheart that everybody has watched and, and, and come to love over the last three weeks because of how he's handled the offense and how he's not looked like the last pick in the draft. But come on, man. Aaron Rodgers, too cool for school, mega football brain, Kyle Shanahan with the similar vibes, but on the coaching side of things, that that thing, storyline-wise, because I'm here for the stories, right? If, it, if Other than Bears football, I'm not rooting for anybody, really, but storyline-wise, that thing would be interesting to watch, because what we've seen out of Aaron Rodgers over these last three playoff runs or ousters in the playoffs is... Aaron Rodgers seemingly makes a mistake or two that he didn't used to make five, six, seven years ago. I mean, hell, in that Detroit Lions game, this is a cover two throw where you're like, wait a minute, that's not Aaron Rodgers throwing that football. And he, of course, looks at the wide receiver, you know, with with uh, a certain level of detest. But in the end, it was his fault. So I, I'm, I'm looking to see where Aaron Rodgers is at, at this point in his career because he can still sling it. It seems like he's still got the brain for it. He, you know, a lot of things seemingly haven't slowed down to match that. With the the coaching prowess and the scheme and the the, the innovation of Kyle Shanahan, I think that would be the ter- most the, the, the most intriguing storyline going into next season if if that were to uh, to to happen. You know that that would blow away Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos to me. Oh yeah, that would be insane. San Francisco makes a big swing at quarterback after the Trey Lance stuff, after the Jimmy G stuff, and then obviously Brock Purdy, who's got some insane statistics towards the back half of the season. He joined Dan Marino. Dan Marino and him are the only two quarterbacks in NFL history to throw multiple touchdown passes in their first five starts. That's insane. That's insane. Brock Purdy is doing otherworldly things, and then you go make a big splash for Aaron Rodgers. I think the Las Vegas Raiders storyline would be very interesting. Obviously, rejoining Devontae Adams and Mm -hmm. putting the absolute pressure on Josh McDaniels, dude. Josh McDaniels comes to Las Vegas, wants to build around Derek Carr, can't get it done. Then you go make a block, but you're, you're going to have to trade because the contract stays in Green Bay. So much of it stays in Green Bay. It's not like you're going to have to take on a lot of money with that contract. Probably going to have to trade multiple first-round picks among other, other picks as well, maybe players included. To go get him, you make that big of a sw- bat, that big of a swing of a bat with a head coach that there's little evidence for him being an actually good, successful head coach in this league. I worry about the Raiders making another big swing of the bat there, but I do think the storyline, the content would be sensational. Moving to the playoffs, I have these separated into a handful of categories. The first category of which are these teams have quarterbacks that are hurt with big question marks. It's the Miami Dolphins. I have them as the last ranked team in the playoffs. Their odds to win the Super Bowl are plus 6,000. That's 60 to 1. And a lot of that is because Tua Tungavailoa is still in the concussion protocol. Head coach of the Dolphins, Mike McDaniel, said he won't even discuss Tua Tungavailoa playing in any game, including their wild card matchup with the Bills this weekend, until he's medically cleared. And with the Baltimore Ravens, I have them a lot higher at 8 because ESPN's Adam Schefter says, quote-unquote, there's a strong chance Lamar Jackson starts in their wild card game against the Bengals, but there's still question marks. He hasn't played in over a month. There's still swelling in his knee, according to Schefter. Two teams that they're a difficult team to rank in this playoffs because they are quarterbacks, obviously have injury concerns. Where are you at with the Miami Dolphins? I have them at 14 and the Baltimore Ravens at eight. 
Uh, the Miami Dolphins are dead in the water. No, no pun intended. Shout out to CC. This thing has been a, <laughs> a magical ride for him and his Miami Dolphins. But they start out, what, eight and two? And then injuries happen. Not just injuries to Tua Tonga Vailo. Obviously, those are super important. And we hope that Tua is going to be well, not just for football's sake, but for his quality of life going forward. But also all around that team, defensively on the offensive line, they, they were banged up the second half of the year. And I, I think they just. They just hit that wall of, okay, you guys have put a lot of big band-aids over a lot of gaping holes, whether it be Tyreek Hill or Taron Armstead or whatever they did in, the, in, in this, um, this offseason. But depth-wise, when you take as many hits as they took, they just couldn't withstand that depth uh, situation. There was a war of attrition for them. And, of course, when, you, when your quarterback goes down uh, after the way he played to start the season, it's going to be a major blow. And he hasn't really gotten on any kind of run since uh, the first concussion situation that, that occurred. But with the Baltimore Ravens, man, you know, not just not having played since early December, not having practice. And and I'm, you know, looking at this thing, this is five weeks now where he hasn't played. And your money, it, it, with no agent to speak of, your money is right now as important as anything if you're Lamar Jackson. You're looking at that Deshaun Watson contract and you're saying, I'm not taking a dollar less than that after what I've achieved in this league. And the Baltimore Ravens are looking at you like, but wait a minute, you got a PCL sprain and the, the, the way you play is the reason why we may not want to pay you as much as we want to pay you. So if I'm him, I'm not, I'm not run out here and put bad shit on tape so you could pay me less. You know, that's, that's just not the move. And, and shout out to the team shout out to the organization but this is what happens when you don't have an agent as well because there isn't some kind of machine publicity wise but there's been dead silence out of Lamar Jackson he's tweeted a few things out but it has nothing to do with the injuries Baltimore Ravens fans of course at some at some point if not immediately are going to side with the organization because that's what they are you know that's what they that's what they they find their identity in a player can move on the Baltimore Ravens fans are going to root for the Ravens no matter what and now you've got Harbaugh saying well you know, he, he practiced a couple weeks ago. Okay, I don't know if he's going to play this week. I don't know. I, maybe he'll be fine. Maybe he's been misstating, or maybe that that staff has been misstating the severity of this injury for the entire time. But since you don't have an agent, the stuff, the back channels aren't being played right now for Lamar Jackson. So it just looks like he's just stone silent and he's not going to play. If I'm him, man, I don't know if I play this game either. Like, if you don't know what you have in me, why would I go out there 65, 75%? risk further injury, mess up my money going forward, or further validate whatever arguments you have going against me. So yeah, those two teams deserve to be at the bottom rung because we just don't know what they are health-wise, especially at the most important position in the field. If Lamar Jackson plays, I'll say, and, and, and Schefter two days ago said there's still swelling in his knees. So you can't say he's 100%. If he plays, it's for the players, right? It's for his teammates. It's the it's the guys that have been there. And I think it even is for Harbaugh, who I think in the comments he's made about Lamar Jackson's injury, I think you've seen frustration, right? Frustration that they can't get him back on the football field. In weeks one through 12 with Lamar Jackson, they averaged 24 points a game. In the games without him, they're averaging 12 points a game. Like it's They literally cuts the offense in half. They can't get a completed pass to a receiver. It's that bad. With, with, with the Baltimore Ravens. Defensively, they've stepped up. The, the, I, the Baltimore Ravens, I think, in Lamar ja since Lamar Jackson's gotten hurt, ranks first in the league in points allowed per game. I think the defense has stepped up in a lot of ways. That makes them a more dangerous team, in my opinion, even with the quarterback injury than the Miami Dolphins. But if Lamar Jackson's not 100%, how can you bet on this team who first have to play the Cincinnati Bengals in Cincinnati as a six-and-a-half-point dog? How can you bet on this team to go three, three to the Super Bowl? I don't know if I see it. 
Lamar Jackson's still not 100%. We'll be interesting to see how that contract situation goes. I know a lot of New York Jets fans are licking their chops at an opportunity to get a Lamar Jackson in the Big Apple, as are they looking at Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers looking for a big-name quarterback. Man, that, this offseason, specifically with Lamar Jackson, if the Baltimore Ravens fail to lock him up on a massive, like you said, Deshaun Watson's contract is the floor, that contract extension, man, it would be, it would be an embarrassing, a blight on a franchise that has been you know, you've seen every single offseason so praised. Baltimore Ravens franchise, Baltimore Ravens organization has been praised consistently for the efforts they've made as an organization. You let Lamar Jackson walk out the door, oh my goodness. That is perspective changing for the Baltimore Ravens. Will be an interesting offseason to follow um, when they ultimately are eliminated from the playoffs because I do not see them going on a run to the Super Bowl. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Next tier here. And I'm interested in your take because this one's a little, little interesting. I have this, the teams are bad and the quarterbacks are questionable. That's the number nine ranked Minnesota Vikings, the 12 ranked Seattle Seahawks, and the 13 ranked New York Giants. With the Minnesota Vikings, they're the best team of this bunch. I obviously have them ranked ninth. I think that the teams defensively, they've allowed the second most points of any team in the NFL this year. They've allowed the second most yards of any team in the NFL this year. Their defense is a legitimate, legitimate Achilles heel. They have really, really struggled defensively. The only three teams since their week one blowout of the Green Bay Packers where they've allowed fewer than 22 points are Miami, Washington, and Chicago. You know the quarterbacks of those teams in those games? Skylar Thompson, Taylor Heineke, and Nathan Peterman. Like this Minnesota Vikings defense against playoff caliber offenses is going to struggle. And I think that includes even the New York Giants. For the Seattle Seahawks, Geno Smith, a little bit inconsistent down the stretch. And defensively, that has been another really bad defense this year. The New York Giants. Every single week, we talk about how they don't have the talent, right? They, talk, they have a talent discrepancy in every game they've played. However, Brian Dayball and Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, some of these guys have found ways to win games, 9-7-1 on the season. I don't see any of these three teams making a run. I think there's too much worries defensively, and the quarterbacks aren't good enough to overcome that. Yeah, no, this is the, 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 the they're not ready for prime time tier. Right. Like you, you look at the Giants and you look at the Seahawks, both played above expectations, both quarterbacks. Right. Both both of them, Daniel Jones and Geno Smith played above what uh, either organization or fan base expected of them and both defenses. I mean, I like I like some of the things, obviously, the Giants. I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau, what, what more can you say? The, the snow angel thing aside, uh, that that mm-hmm. dude is going to be an absolute <laughs> an absolute you know, hellraiser for the next six, seven years uh, for, for, you know, the, the, the G men, but Seattle wise, you know, Geno Smith has been 
outstanding, right? Making a Pro Bowl and not because people didn't want to go to it, but actually making the Pro Bowl and, and, and trying to get his career jump-started from where it's, it was and what people thought of him. You know, the Vikings, it, it's interesting because there's still a lot of names on that defensive side of the football, but it's always interesting to see a team go from a defensive focus to an offensive focus. And sometimes those defensive coaches, when they've got their hands on a defense, but having somebody else call the plays or having somebody else kind of develop the guys, they've got some of the fixes and some of the the you know the special recipes to to kind of make the gumbo taste the way it's supposed to and when that guy isn't there to drop that in there a la Mike Zimmer you know and the defense was kind of waning at the end of his his time as well that's why he got fired right I mean it's, if you're the defensive coach and you're giving up points it's time for you to go but it seems like that staff doesn't have any of the answers that that talent would belie because there's still some talented names on that side of the football and of course they're they're in that Matt Schaub you know Andy Dalton kind of vibe where the limiting factor is your quarterback. We we talked about team. We've talked about teams like this, you know, every half a decade, right? Where it's like, okay, there's a four year, five year run with the squad, and you see that their quarterback is a guy that that's somebody that ha- you have to pay him because there might not be a replacement level player at his stature. But at the same time, you know that there is a limited ceiling, and you know that you're going to have to put every everything around that player. The Vikings have tried to put everything around Kirk Cousins. Uh, there there's a limited ceiling with him as a quarterback. You know. No matter what he does, no matter how, you know, the the, the fun and all the, the cool stuff that happens on the plane, like Kirk Cousins is going to be Kirk Cousins in a big game. So I, I don't believe in any three of these teams, but for different reasons, none of these teams are ready for prime time. To start with the New York Giants, I think both them and the Seattle Seahawks feel like they're a year early, right? I think the New York Giants with Brian right. Dayball are a year early, even right. if they bring back Daniel Jones, which I think is going to be a big decision. When we bring on Stephen Ruiz to talk quarterbacks, I want to hear what he thinks of Daniel Jones and that decision obviously looming for the New York Giants to bring him back on a contract extension. They also have to make that same decision for Saquon Barkley, two guys that have obviously been integral to the successes that they've had this season, but they were a year early because this receiving core is the worst in the NFL. This offensive line has allowed the second most pressure of any team in the NFL. I think it's a young offensive line. It's a young receiving core that just objectively needs to get better. The only team in the NFL this year that they beat by more than eight points was Jeff Saturday's Colts. Like, they're a year early, right? They've had some success against weaker competition. They've made it into the playoffs. I think that Brian Dayball should be the front runner with Nick Sirianni for Coach of the Year. They've had a massively successful season. And I think they have a good draw against the Minnesota Vikings. They're only three-point dogs on the road against Minnesota because Minnesota's in this same tier as well because of Kirk Cousins' limitations, because they're 11-0 in one-score games, because when they've faced it, when they've faced heightened competition, they've been blown out in every single one of those games. I worry that the Minnesota Vikings aren't ready for what Dayball has, you know, prepared for them on the road against Minnesota. I think that could be the upset of wildcard weekend is Giants going to Minnesota and beating up on the Vikings. For the Seattle Seahawks, they just ran into a buzzsaw opening round. I think this is a better team than the 10-point spread they have against San Francisco, but San Francisco's a house. They're an absolute house. The last time they made a road trip to San Francisco, they didn't score an offensive touchdown. The only touchdown they scored was a blocked field goal. When 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 the 49ers came to Seattle, they were trailing 21-6 going into the fourth. Both times Seattle Seahawks have played the 49ers, they've been absolutely blown out. And I think that's going to happen again. Unfortunate, because they've had a successful season and Geno Smith has been the story, but I think they're a year early as well and they've run into an absolute juggernaut in Kyle Shanahan, uh, Nick Bosa, Fred Warren. Like, they have too much talent in San Francisco um, to really go toe-to-toe the Seattle Seahawks, that is. Next tier, I have this as the quarterbacks are good, but the teams are bad tier. I have the Los Angeles Chargers, seventh-ranked team. I think 
I w- I'll get into the details there. Some people are like, what? The Chargers are great. Brandon Staley, game planner. We'll talk about that. Jacksonville Jaguars. Trevor Lawrence is great. That team, there's a reason they're 9-8. and eight. And then you have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tom Brady, I still think, is playing really, really well, especially when they go into the hurry-up. But the rest of this team is really struggling. It's a big reason why. They're in the playoffs. I know they won the NFC South with a losing record. They went 8-9 on the season. Your reaction to those rankings? Chargers at 7, Jags at 10, Bucks at 11. Which of those teams do you like the best? And do you think any of those teams has a chance to go on a run? Well, the Bucs, uh, you know, I don't know if the Bucs have a chance going to run, but it's hard to bet against Tom Brady. If, if games are close and late, you know, I, I've, I've learned my lesson. And until I see it not happen, I'm going to continue to learn my lesson, I guess. But I, I can't wait for the Chargers and the Jacksonville Jaguars to put on for a national stage, right? Because, you know, there's, there's certain arrival moments in quarterbacks' lives. And I think that this is getting ready to be that moment for Trevor Lawrence and Justin Herbert. Right. Like we, we've talked a lot about Justin Herbert these last three years and rightfully so. And we've talked a lot about Trevor Lawrence these last three years and rightfully so last couple of years and rightfully so. But the fact that we're now going to see throw to throw everybody scrutinize, okay, the decision making, the arm talent, all these things that we've been, you know, maybe watching only on highlights for people who aren't in LA or aren't in Jacksonville. I'm looking forward to, and also I think people are going to get in, uh, you know, introduced to that Jacksonville Jaguars defense as well, right? There's some, there's some players on that side of the football, but what Trevor Lawrence has become and, you know, all the, the, the can't miss prodigy prospect, uh, you know, predictions, like now's the time to fulfill them. And, and we, we don't really care about regular season numbers. And and it's very early on in his NFL career. But like, you know, Peyton Manning is the gold standard of, okay, regular season after regular season after regular season. This man was flawless damn near. And then when you get to the playoffs, there was always that knock on his career until he won his first Super Bowl. So I'm looking forward to seeing this journey start for these two young quarterbacks. And of course, we've seen Justin in the the position before. But for Trevor Lawrence, you know, when you see Andrew Luck and you see John Elway and when you see some of these, you know, these bona fide dudes who you knew from the start were going to be something when you see them make that first playoff foray now this is the launching pad and and you know i'm sure he'll make some of his mistakes that he's made over the last three weeks because if you look at his numbers over the last three weeks they haven't been eye-popping but he's played functional enough football to keep him at that top tier and since week nine i believe he's either the in the top three or top two in terms of quarterback rating like he's been phenomenal the second half of the season so i'm looking forward to those two dudes of course with the bucks and tom brady not gonna count him out in any two-minute drive but i just I think I think Tampa Bay has has run out of gas. I think they're ready. I think they're ready to fold up shop. I think they've had their three or four year run uh, and and got themselves to a Super Bowl. I think they're they're slow. I think they're older. I think they're beat up enough. And I think Tom Brady is probably done with it. I, I look at the last inning charges, and that's where I want to start. And we have to bring up the fact that Brandon Staley played his starters in a meaningless meet, like seating could not change week eighteen game against the Denver Broncos. His rationale for that is try and carry some of this momentum into the playoffs, some of this confidence into the playoffs. They end up watching Mike Williams get carted off with back spasms. I think there's optimism that he'll play, but still, I don't know if he's going to be 100%. Guy couldn't even walk off the field under his own power. And you come out of that game losing to the Broncos with your starters. I know Justin Herbert left the game late in the game, but you lost that game even before the starters came out. How are you going to go into the season with confidence losing Mike Williams and not putting up a good fight against the Denver Broncos, who are one of the worst teams in the NFL this year. I question that decision. Big time. If Mike Williams can't play in this game, Brandon Staley has has to answer some questions. That was ridiculous. Then you look at their record against playoff teams. Only playoff team they beat this year was the Miami Dolphins in that game where Brandon Staley, at his best, 
put together a masterful game plan. Why he's so coveted in this league is exactly what he against, did against the Dolphins in Week 14. Justin Herbert, season high, 367 passing yards in that game. That Chargers team is a deep playoff contender. Not just a playoff contender, that is a Super Bowl contending Chargers team. When Staley's on his game and Herbert's on his game, they are one of the best. However, which Chargers team are we going to see? Every other playoff team they played, they've lost. 0-5 every, against every other playoff contender this season. Then you go into Week 18 and do what Brandon Staley did. Those are the question marks I have. They're just too inconsistent. You could have the game of your life in Week 14, and then a couple weeks later, boneheaded decisions end up costing this Chargers team. I worry, man. I worry about the Chargers as much as I like Justin Herbert and as much as I like Brandon Staley as a game planner, a guy we've talked about a ton on this podcast, I worry that some of these decisions are going to add up. And I think it could start with Mike Williams potentially missing this game against the Jags. For the Jags, I do think that this is a team that's really well coached. You want to know why? Do you want to go back to week three when the Los Angeles Chargers hosted the Jags and lost 38 to 10 and Doug Peterson put on an absolute freaking masterclass and, and blew just you know Brandon Staley out the water? That's what I think could happen in this game. I could see Jacksonville, who's now hosting the Los Angeles Chargers, uh, one that could be without Mike Williams, and, and blowing out the Chargers again with how successful Doug Peterson has been in their last nine games, they're 7-2. I like the Jacksonville Jaguars a lot in this game. I think they're hotter in terms of momentum at the back half of the season than the Los Angeles Chargers are, and I think they might be more prepared and better coached with Doug Peterson on the sideline. As for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, this team is the opposite of hot going into the playoffs. Since week nine, 20th in offensive EPA per drive, 25th in points allowed per game. That's offense and defense efficiency, bottom 10 in the NFL. The only teams they've defeated since week nine are the Seattle Seahawks in Germany, the Rams, the Saints, the Cardinals, and the Panthers. You know, all teams that, Seattle's obviously a playoff team, but everyone else, some of the lowly teams in this league. I do not think the Buccaneers have a chance to go on a run as much as I love Tom Brady. I just don't think, like you said, they, they, they have the juice. I don't think they have the juice anymore. I think Tampa Bay skill players, um, both offensively and defensively, I just don't think they have the speed to keep pace with the rest of the playoff race. Speaking of, the last tier, the best of the best. These are the six teams that I think have a chance, have a chance at winning a Super Bowl. It is the Philadelphia Eagles at one. We'll talk about that. Some people hate that I still have the Eagles at one. I'll talk about it. Chiefs at two, Bills at three, Bengals at four, Niners at five. Some people hate that I have the Niners at five. Like, oh my God, they should be one. Then I have the Dallas Cowboys at six. The last team that I'm putting in this conversation that could win a Super Bowl. Of those six, who do you think should be out? Who do you think should not be in this case to run for a Super Bowl? And who am I too high on, too low on? Uh, I, I'm gonna. I, I think th th those six uh, are representative of the the, the NFC and AFC contenders. Uh, I, I like where you have the Cowboys. I mean, that showing last week in the season is is something that all Cowboys fans should have some trepidation about. Um, you know, and Jerry Jones coming out saying he's got you know full confidence in Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott. That that, that feels like a, a death nail. <laughs> that just feels like more pressure put onto a pressurized situation. I will say this, man. You know the the Jalen Hurts injury and Nick Sirianni admitting that he's pretty he's hurting pretty bad. Like I. In one aspect, it's covering for your guy because you, you know that the stuff that he's putting out there is not representative of what he's been all season long. But also, if he's hurting pretty bad, you know, you're going to have to rely on other things. And, and if there's any team that has been able to rely on a running game for a game or short passing for a game because of that, that offensive line and how terrific they are. I mean, they had three or four guys have 10 sacks on the defensive side of the football this year. They play complimentary football. But can you play 
playoff complementary football with a quarterback as hampered as Jalen Hurts seemingly is, right? And the way that they have styled their offense all year long with him being a part of the running game and, and not, you know, exposing him to too much contact, but making sure that they're picking up three or four or five first downs a game with his legs. You know, how does that, when every possession is is magnified and possessions are, are limited, right? If you're used to 12, 13 possessions, 11 possessions in a game, maybe you get eight or nine because of short fields and playing the punt and field position battle. Like, I wonder how this team who hasn't been to this point yet with this coaching staff and this quarterback reacts when their quarterback is as hurt as he seemingly is. So I would have the Philadelphia Eagles a little bit lower. Uh, I've been... You know, the Bengals thing all year long has been interesting to me because I'm, you know, I'm probably the last guy to to jump in. But, man, the way the Bengals have played to to, to end this season and the way that Joe Burrow has been talking and backing up that talk, like I'd have them a little bit. You had them at three, if I'm not mistaken. You'd have them at three. I'm at four. I'm at four. You have them at four. I'd raise them up to three. I put them up there at three. I'm worried about the Bills right now. Um, you know, the DeMar Hamlin situation, obviously we didn't do a pod last week. We wanted to make sure that everything, you know, we didn't want to be crass and talk about football when you're talking about life and death of a young man. And what we thought was what we witnessed on the field, and thank God uh, that he has now been transported to the Buffalo area hospital where he can be closer to his family and friends as he continues his recovery and development and not to be crass and jump into the football side immediately after the same that but you know they're they're banged up they were banged up in the secondary before DeMar Hamlin got hurt right and and not having Vaughn Miller out there at a hundred percent or at all you know that pass rush is a lot different and playoff pass rushing is a lot different than regular season pass rushing when you're just going up against it's kind of to me like hitters going up against threes through fives during the regular season. Then you get into playoff baseball and you're going up against aces and and dudes who might be aces at the two spot. You're going up against the best of the best offensive line wise and scheme wise in the NFL after you've trimmed the fat of the, of the NFL who are in the playoffs. So I worry. I worry a little bit about that pass rush. And also, Josh Allen, this last six, seven games of the season, gave the football away a little bit too much for my liking. So coming into this game, there is some trepidation. And they're on an emotional high, right? Like what happens in the first quarter if they're down 10 to nothing after riding this emotional roller coaster? I want to see how the Buffalo Bills respond. I'd also have the San Francisco 49ers up there higher, uh, so much so that I think they might be the best team going into the playoffs this, this postseason. Like what Brock Purdy has shown you over the last three weeks, it's not like he was thrown in there last week and all of a sudden you don't know. I think they know his floor. And we've seen backup quarterbacks go on a run before, right? Jeff Hostetler, you know, of recent vintage. Not Kurt Warner so much so because he did it through the entire season when Trent Green got hurt in the preseason. But I'm uh, I'm going with Kyle Shanahan, the San Francisco 49ers, and Brock Purdy to come out of the NFC. And, of course, the Kansas City Chiefs, until you tell me different, that's the squad in the AFC for me. I'll work my way from the bottom up and starting with the Dallas Cowboys who are having this tier of, I think they can win it. You know, Cowboys, you know, the the head coach, Mike McCarthy, right after that game against Washington in week 18, a game that they had reason to play for, right? It could have moved up in seeding. They end up losing 26 to six. Dak Prescott, I think played one of his worst games since his rookie season. Like it was bailing out of clean pockets, running into pressure, throwing picks. It was disgusting. Right after the game, Mike McCarthy said, I'm not a burn the tape guy. The next day, he says, I think we got to burn this tape. <laughs> he said, I think we got to burn this tape. But his, his opinion changed a little bit after turning he it on. It. He's like, you know what? He's like, wait a second. I think I got to burn this tape. Dak Prescott, uh, season low, 182 passing yards, or season low, 182 total offensive yards in that 26 to 6 loss. I think they weren't up for that game. Now, going into the playoffs, 
I do think that the Dallas Cowboys are a lot better than what we saw in Week 18. And I know you can't let that level of recency bias affect what they have going into Tampa Bay, a team that I don't think has the juice to go all the way the distance. Right now, the Cowboys on the road in Tampa Bay Monday night are a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I've seen that line around three as well. I think Dallas wins that one, and I think they have a chance against some of these other teams in the NFC. What I worry about, what I worry about, is McCarthy and the Dallas Cowboys just putting up a stinker, not being motivated in one of these games and, and just too many blunders to overcome against what I think are better coach football teams in the NFC. That's the Eagles. That's the San Francisco 49ers. I think both those teams are better coach. And I think Mike McCarthy is going to be the worst coach in the divisional round by a mile, depending on who goes in. I, I do think that um, the Dallas Cowboys are right to have it six. I don't see them having them much higher. What I will say is Steve Ruiz, who we'll ha have on a little bit later in the show, Dak Prescott's the highest-ranked quarterback on his list in the NFC playoffs. That's why you have to kind of sit back and say, okay, they still have this guy. They still have Dak, and if Dak is at his best, they can maybe go on a run. To San Francisco, Brock Purdy and the Niners are putting on what I'm calling a special improbable run. He joined Dan Marino as the only quarterbacks in NFL history to throw two touchdown passes or multiple touchdown passes in their first five starts in the league. Kyle Shanahan is doing everything in his power to maximize what Purdy does well and minimize what he doesn't. And with that elite cast of weapons, who they didn't have Debo Samuel for the better part of the last month, now that he's back, you got George Kittle, Juszczyk, McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk. There is too much talent offensively with a quarterback Mitchell that is thriving too. in this system. And they got Mitchell. Like This is a San Francisco 49ers offense that when you look at the coach and the supporting cast, I don't think there's there might not be a better unit. right? Quarterback is that limiting factor because no rookie quarterback has done this. Because you, you want Brock Purdy is going to have to continue to rewrite history if the San Francisco 49ers are going to go to the NFC Championship or go to the Super Bowl. He has to continue to be something that no one else has ever done. It's not just that he's a backup quarterback. He's a rookie quarterback. It's not that just he's a rookie quarterback. He's a seventh-round quarterback. Not just that he's a seventh-round quarterback. He was the last pick player in the draft. He's going to have to do something that no one ever saw coming. And I think that's a big tip of the cap to Kyle Shanahan and what he's done to win with Brock Purdy. But it's also going to be, there's going to be moments, right? It won't be full games. It won't even be full quarters. But there are going to be key third downs, key two-minute drives in this playoff race where Brock Purdy has to step up. And can you bank on that? We'll be interesting to see. That's what I have um, them at five. Defensively, we didn't bring it up. It's best defense in the league. They've allowed 15.2 points per game. That's two points better than any other team in the NFL. D'Amico Ryans is going to be in the conversation for a lot of head coaching vacancies because of it. They have a lot of talent on that side of the ball as well. San Francisco should be competing for an NFC championship. They're the fifth-ranked team on this list, but they're the number two-ranked NFC team behind the Philadelphia Eagles. For the Cincinnati Bengals, Joe Burrow, I think, is one of the, if not the most confident player in the league. He threw a no-look pass against uh, in Week 18 in this Ravens game, which I don't think we've seen from Burrow a lot. And after the game, in his press conference, they asked him, what do you think the Super Bowl window is for the Bengals? He says, the, the window is, is always open. As long as I'm here in Cincinnati, the window is always open. You don't see quarterbacks making these, making these statements like Burrow is that in just his third year in the league. Burrow, count him out if you want to. I'm not doing it. Cincinnati Bengals also have a defense and a defense coordinator in Lou Anarumo that I think can put together game plans with the best of them. They should be competing for an AFC championship. I think they're undervalued in the Super Bowl betting odds market. Plus 750 to win the Super Bowl? They were there last year. And you could argue they're better now than they were last year. They've won 10 of their last 11 games. They're a top three offense and a top five defense. This is a Cincinnati Bengals team that I think is getting undervalued. As for the Buffalo Bills, that's my number three ranked team. Why do I have them ahead of the Cincinnati Bengals? 
I have Josh Allen ahead of Joe Burrow. I think Stefan Diggs is one of the premier talents at the receiver position, up there with Jamar Chase. Then you have the coaching staff, Sean McDermott. And that coaching staff, Ken Dorsey now being interviewed for head coaching vacancies. Defensively, Leslie Frazier has been in his bag all season long through a wake, a lot of injuries. The Buffalo Bills are going into this year or were going into this year the Super Bowl favorite, and they're still up there, top three, or number two, actually, behind the Kansas City Chiefs and odds to win the Super Bowl, and I think for good reason. I, I do think that the Buffalo Bills, as long as they have Josh Allen, as long as they have Stephon Diggs, Sean McDermott, they're going to be in every game they have. For Kansas City, I don't think the analysis needs to be that deep. They have the best quarterback in the league. It's not close. They have the best quarterback in the league, and it's not close. I think that Patrick Mahomes is, you want to talk about a Super Bowl window that's always open. If Patrick Mahomes is, is awake, the Chiefs have a chance at the Super Bowl. They're the favorite right now to win it all. And obviously, they have the first seed. Even if they have to play in a neutral site against the Buffalo Bills or the Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC Championship, I think the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be favored. They're going to be favored in every game they play. I think including the Super Bowl. It could be Chiefs-Eagles. Chiefs are favored. Chiefs-Niners. Chiefs are favored. Sorry. It's, it, it's, it's one of the best teams, if not the best team in the league, because they have Patrick Mahomes. Now, why is Philly first then? Why is Philly first when you talk all this about Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs having the one seed? In the first 15 games of the season, the Eagles were 14-1 and with the first-ranked scoring offense ahead of the Kansas City Chiefs and the sixth-ranked scoring defense. The Eagles' defense is night and day better than what Kansas City has. I think it'd be easy to let the two weeks of Gardner Minshew and obviously this Week 18 where we weren't able to see Jalen Hurts running the football effectively to allow that recency bias to drop the Philadelphia Eagles. For the first 15 weeks of the season, they were the best team in the NFL by a, by a margin. Offensively and defensively, that combination was rare. Now they have home field advantage. There's no neutral site in the NFC. The, the Super Bowl goes through Philadelphia. You're going to have to go to Philadelphia, cross-country trip, to go beat up on the Philadelphia Eagles. And if Jalen Hurts is healthy enough for them to go back to what this offense was, when he was running the football effectively, they're one of the best short yardage teams in the NFL, I think they have enough to do it. They have enough to, especially now that they're hosting every single game in the playoffs, I think they have enough to make the big dance with Jalen Hurts, with Nick Sirianni. Again, another really, really good coach in this league. Both their, off, both their coordinators, Shane Steichen, the offense coordinator, and the defense coordinator, John Gannon, I think will be in the conversation for head coaching vacancies. I think the Philadelphia Eagles are still one. Can't let recency bias take that. Any, any qualms with that, Jason? Those are the best teams in the league. I went up, I went six to one. Any qualms with that? No, I mean, as I stated, I probably have the 49ers at number one right now. I probably have the Chiefs at number two. I probably have the Cincinnati Bengals at three. Who do we have left there? The Buffalo Bills at four. Uh, at five, we're talking maybe I, I no, you know what? I probably have the 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 Eagles. Yes, I'd have the Eagles ahead of the Buffalo Bills. I'd have the Eagles ahead of the Buffalo Bills, and then the the Dallas Cowboys bringing up the rear in terms of championship contenders. I think this is a this is a Kansas City, Cincinnati. Uh, you know, um, uh, what's the other what's the other squad in the NFC? I'm I'm tripping off of right now. Uh, San Francisco, Cowboys? San Francisco, yeah. San Francisco. I think this is a Kansas City, Cincinnati, San Francisco type of world. I think some way somehow those three teams are going to figure out. Uh, who wins the Super Bowl and who's hoisting the Lombardi Trophy? You know what's next, Jason. What uh -oh. we do every single week. What uh -oh. we do every single week, and it's it's the last one. What is your game of the week? What is your game of the week, Jason? I think you could Come look on. at you could look at Chargers Jags one is. and a half point line. It's a one and a half point line, or the Monday night game. What's going to get all the ratings? ESPN got it for a reason. Cowboys Bucks. It'll be the most watched game this weekend. Not even freaking close. You got Cowboys. You got Brady. It's going to be most watched. But what is the best game? It's Chargers Jags. It's Chargers Jags, man. You get to see the two young quarterbacks go at it. The future of the league. Uh, two teams that you think are going to be in this position for the next, you know, half a decade.
decade. I mean, hell, you look at the AFC, brother. You're talking about uh, if Lamar Jackson stays a Raven, you, you still got to contend with the Ravens. You're talking about Patrick Mahomes. You, you know, of course, we just mentioned Josh Allen and the Bills. Now that the, the Jags have their situation solidified going forward, and of course, Brandon Staley, whatever he's going to do, just don't mess up Justin Herbert. You've got five teams that you think should be filling out those seven slots for the next half a decade plus. It starts this weekend for me with Justin Herbert and, and Trevor Lawrence going toe-to-toe. I know they're not going against each other. I know they're going up against the, the, the respected defenses, but I'm looking forward to seeing Trevor Lawrence for the first time on this stage where all eyes are going to be on him. All eyes are going to be on this Jaguars team. And anything that makes Urban Meyer look worse, which is every single snap that the Jacksonville Jaguars take this year, I'm all about. So I'm going Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm going L.A. Chargers. Justin Herbert versus Trevor Lawrence. That's, that's box office stuff that I think four or five years from now when we mention those two names, we'll be talking about AFC Championship showdowns along, of course, with Patrick Mahomes in the mix. Absolutely the game of the week. I'm so glad you picked it. That line opened up. Chargers two and a half point favorites already bet down to one and a half. And I think there's more com- more money coming on Trevor Lawrence in this Jacks team. I think it could be plus one. It's also the second highest total on the week. 47 and a half is where they have the total on Fandle. Highest total of the week, which I think is the second best game of Wild Card Weekend. It is Brian Dayball's Giants going to Minnesota. Because you got two really, really interesting storylines. Giants have overachieved all season. Vikings have overachieved all season. Vikings are a three-point favorite at home. We got Dayball. You have Kevin O'Connell, two first-year head coaches that need to prove in their first year that they can go into a game and win a playoff game. I think that one's going to be absolutely fantastic as well. I think it's a good slate. It's a good slate. Obviously, we have some 10-point spreads. Seattle Niners, I think that's going to be a blowout. Sorry, Seattle. Thanks for coming out. And Miami Buffalo, I think that one's going to be an absolute slaughter, especially if Tua doesn't play. I think that's going to be rough to see. I think Carlos might not even watch it. He might be watching something else. He might be watching some Netflix. <laughs> he might I don't be know. I don't up think he turns that on. <laughs> I don't think he's turning that one on. Um, Jason, before we bring in Steven, and he ruins the show, obviously, as he always does. Fantastic, <laughs> fantastic stuff all year, man. I've really, really enjoyed uh, yeah, podcasting with you. It's my first podcast with The Ringer. And you were my first co-host. I, I really have enjoyed it. And Carlos, that, that same praise goes to you. It's been a fantastic year, and I've really enjoyed all this. Yeah, man. To CC and Wardo and everybody who's been uh, available to hang out with us here on Tuesdays. Austin, this has been a blast, brother. I've uh, I have learned a lot. You know, I, I hear about EPA in my sleep now because of you. <laughs> you know what I mean? You have made me a smarter, better out here. Shout out to FanDuel. But seriously, though, man, you're you're a talented cat. You know your shit. And I, I, I grow smarter. And, and and I'm more wiser and more entertained by uh, working with you, man. So this, this has been a fun 17, 18 week run, brother. Well, let's get dumber and bring in Seam Ruiz, right? I mean, that's that. <laughs> <Let's get it. laughs> no, I'm just let's kidding. Let's it. go ahead and bring in, uh, we'll, we'll bring in Steve and talk some QBs. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward. Because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Now joining the show, Steve Ruiz, talking some quarterbacks. I want to get in to start, and we opened the show with this, Aaron Rodgers. A, there's some betting markets that have his next landing spot. Some people think Las Vegas, could be Indianapolis, could be going to New York for the Jets. 
One, do you have a lean on where he plays next year? If you want to say Green Bay, say Green Bay. It's a lame answer, but I get it. And two, just how much does he have left? You know, I think there were parts of the season where like, man, he's he is the problem. Then there were parts towards the back end where people were starting to get in around the fact that, okay, when he turns it on, he has it. Where are you at with Aaron Rodgers currently? I guess, where would he be on your preseason rankings if you had to file them today for 2023? And then do you have a, a lean on where he plays next year? Uh, I, I do think he still has it. I, I think even over the like the last month, we saw him make a handful of throws that were like MVP level throws and the type of throws that made him Aaron Rodgers. I just think I don't think he's hitting on those as consistently and he's not making the easy throws as consistently. And now, now maybe that has to do with the young receiving core or whatever. But I would put him like at the bottom half of the top 10 right now going in. It, it kind of feels like where Tom Brady was his last year in New England. It was not a good year, even, even on film, but beyond the numbers, Brady didn't look, didn't look good at all. And he goes to Tampa Bay, obviously playing with a different receiving core, a much better receiving core might've changed things playing in a different climate might've changed things. TB 12, maybe, maybe taking a trip to Europe might've changed things. You know, there's, there's, there's <laughs> a lot of, a lot of ex possible explanations out there, but he was able to turn it around in a better environment. And I think Aaron Rodgers has more ability at this point than Tom Brady had at that point in his career. So I could see a similar thing. And if, if I'm him, I'm looking at a team like maybe the Jets. They have talent. They have a defense. I don't think he has to be at his best to get that team in the playoffs. And I think at this point, that's all he wants is a, is a chance to make the playoffs. And the Jets strike me as the one team that you don't need to be, they don't need a good quarterback. We saw that. They had a terrible quarterback this play and almost made the playoffs. So Aaron Rodgers would, I think, get gets them to like 12 wins. All right, Steven Ruiz. Uh, Dak Prescott. Um, you know, this thing this last week was not pretty at all. Austin Gale mentioned running into sacks, throwing into coverage. It's not how you want to go into the playoffs. Is this a throw the tape away kind of game or are there some issues here that, that we will see uh, in their first playoff matchup? Uh, I would say yes and no. Like, I think it's, it is a throwaway the tape game for Dak specifically, just because he was making mistakes that he doesn't typically make. Like he doesn't run into sacks. He doesn't throw inaccurate passes. Usually those are his two biggest strengths as a passer. So look, it happens once. I, I, I don't know. I, I dismiss it. If it happens two or three weeks in a row, then I think you could start to actually look into that. But when you watch the tape, Washington was on everything that Dallas was doing. Like it was like they were in Kellen Moore's headset. And this is kind of what happened last year. Like the Cowboys got off to this hot start on offense. Obviously, they didn't have to deal with the Dak Prescott injury like they did this year, but they were leading the NFL in like every stat, DVOA scoring. I think they finished the regular season as the top scoring team. But down the stretch, the defense or the offense just got a little bit worse every week. And you start to you started to see defenses catch on to what they were doing. And that's the one criticism of Kellen Moore right now. And we're seeing the same thing happening. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see a similar output next week when uh, with the Bucks next up on the schedule. Because Todd Bowles, like, he's not a great head coach, but he is a good defensive coordinator. And he's, he is good at putting together a plan. So I would not be surprised if this offense struggles in a lot of the same ways, even if Dak is playing more like we're used to seeing him play. I want to also bring up Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, I, there's a big decision. Obviously, everyone's talking about the Lamar Jackson decision. Roquan Smith, as we were recording this podcast, is now the highest paid linebacker in the league. That opens up a spot for the Baltimore Ravens to franchise tag Lamar Jackson. 
Before the season, the Giants did not pick up Daniel Jones' fifth, fifth year option. There was not long term commitment to Daniel Jones. Then you have this season where I think he exceeds a lot of people's expectations. I think he probably even exceeded your expectations going to the year. I'm sure he moved up from his preseason spot. Now he's playing a playoff game that I think they can win, going to Minnesota against Kirk Cousins or a three point underdog. What has been your reaction to this Daniel Jones season? How much has your opinion elevated of him, if at all? And, and what do you. What would you do? Don't tell me what you think will happen. What would you do with this decision looming around Daniel Jones? Uh, it's hard to say how much like my perception has changed of him. I, I, I don't honestly think that he, he jumped that far in the rankings. I had him a little higher than people expected. I can actually tell you. Let me, let me look this up. He's at 19th right now. Uh, he did, I guess. He started at 26th. Uh, he's the same quarterback. He's just in a better offense, an offense that doesn't ask him to be anything more than he is. And that's just is like this replacement level starting quarterback. I think he can do all the easy stuff. And we've seen that the one thing I've noticed on film and that I want to see more of is him just take more chances, him believe more in, in his own ability. Cause I do think he has physical talent. He doesn't have the best arm, but he has an arm that's good enough. And we've seen him make deep throws. He's not Lamar Jackson, but he's plenty athletic. And we've seen the giants build a run game Almost not around him, around Saquon Barkley, but they've used his run threat. He just doesn't make difficult throws, though. Like there are out, like deep breaking out routes that he just doesn't throw. If you look up the stats, he he averages 0.8 deep outs per game. That's last in the NFL, and they're running those routes, and those routes are open. He just doesn't throw and throw it. And I don't know if it's like I don't have the belief in my arm to make those throws or. There's been so much criticism about him turning over the ball before this year that maybe it's it, they've beaten it into his head not to take those chances. So I don't know what it is, but it doesn't matter because the product is the same. He's not making those throws, and that limits what this passing game can do, and it limits what Brian Dayball can do as a, a designer of this offense and as a play caller. Like We could talk about the offensive line and the receiving core. He's leaving throws out on the field. Now, are the receivers going to make the catch, make those catches? I don't know but you have to make the throws in order to give them a chance to, to do it. Steven, you could talk about these two quarterbacks. I'm sure you will uh, respectively of this question, but it just popped in my head. If you were going forward and you had to pick one quarterback over the other, not saying that the other quarterback is a bum or anything like that. Cause that's how it always is painted, but futures, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, which one would you be going with? Ooh, that's tough. I, I think Trevor Lawrence, no, no, not Trevor Lawrence. I think Trevor Lawrence has a higher ceiling. Mm -hmm. But I think Justin Herbert is the pick just because the one issue that I have with Lawrence still is the accuracy is inconsistent. Now, we saw it on Saturday night. He missed a few throws that were there. Troy Aikman like, basically told him to stop playing football and go <laughs> find another life, go home and be a family man. That was a little harsh from, from Troy, but that is like a theme throughout this season is he misses throws and Justin Herbert doesn't miss those throws. Justin Herbert is a robot. He's one of those like robots where you program it to make a three pointer from half court and it makes it every time. That's Justin Herbert making throws. Now I will say the thing that separates Lawrence, like when I'm talking ceiling is that Lawrence is a more willing playmaker. I think he's more willing to go off script. He's not going to, you know, follow the the progression to a T. He's not going to go one to two to three, then throw his check down. If one and two aren't open, he might give three an extra beat to get open, or he might scramble and provide one and two a, an extra second or two to get open. Whereas Justin Herbert is going to throw that check down every time. And while that like keeps them out of negative plays, it does have its drawbacks. And that's that's the one thing that I think is keeping Herbert from 
the Mahomes tier or even the Allen tier if you think Allen's a better quarterback. And I don't know if it's in him to to break out of that shell. Whereas Trevor Lawrence is just as talented and has that that approach already. So I don't know. I'm taking Justin Herbert. It's the safer bet. But I could see a world where Lawrence ends up being a better player. Last but not least, give me the quarterback that elevated the most this season. Who have you been impressed by the most? We've been talking to you every single week. Who has risen up the rankings most? Who have you been most impressed with? Who has been the biggest jump for you in 2022? I mean, it's Geno Smith. And I started high on Geno Smith. But really? Really? Yes, you did. <laughs> I like I I I don't I don't see the concern. There's questions about whether they should bring him back. You watch the tape. I don't think there's any question. Even it, like in his worst games, like the San Francisco game a couple of weeks ago, I thought he did as good of a job as you can mitigating the problems that Seattle has. Like people have pointed to Geno stats falling off, but the real problem has been the offensive line has fallen off. They were relying on two rookie tackles. They hit a rookie wall. That's you know that's there's no shame in doing that. That's what young players do. It felt their their pass protection fell off. They ran into a lot of good pass rushes, especially the 49ers. And I thought Gino did what he had to do to keep this offense afloat. And I I think he's a big reason why they made the playoffs because he he was playing well. Even when they were losing games, even when he was tur- uh, turning the ball over, he was still making plays. And we saw it last week. We saw it on Sunday when they needed to play. He made that deep throw to Tyler Lockett. He made that throw to the tight end. I think it was Parkinson up the seam. It, I mean, he can do it all as a quarterback. He can play make. He can go through his progressions. He's tough in the pocket. He has a big-time arm. Maybe he's not like this new-age quarterback who's going to be able to throw from any platform like Patrick Mahomes, but those guys are rare. So if you can get a quarterback who can thrive as a drop-back passer, even when things aren't going at, like the way you want the offense to go, I think you have to lock that guy down. And he's the one that I think has made a leap not like a leap from one tier to the next tier, but I think he's leaped like at least three tiers this season. I would be absolutely stunned if the Seattle Seahawks did not bring him back. You know, depending, I, I'm not going to like, you know, speculate on what the contract could be, but for one, obviously, like you said, you turn on the tape, he's played well. He's deserved what he should do. You know, he's deserved, he's earned coming back. But two, it's like, what are you incentivizing in Seattle if not that, right? Like, what are you incentivizing as a head coach and like decision making in the front office? Like, Geno Smith has had an otherworldly year, got the Seattle Seahawks to the playoffs. If you're not bringing that guy back, I think the, the locker room would react very poorly. And that's Carroll's thing. Like, always compete. Yeah. That's his thing. Yes. And if you don't reward that, then yeah, you're, it's kind of hypocritical. He set the, the damn record for passing yards. And the, the, other, uh, the other answer, which kind of just sounds dumb, just because of who he is, is Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. That, he's taken another leap. He, he's the best quarterback in the NFL. It's not even close. I think last year after the, the Allen-Mahomes shootout, there were questions about whether Allen had closed the gap. Those questions are gone now. Mahomes is the best quarterback I've ever seen. I've never seen anyone play quarterback like this. He could be whatever you want him to be. He could be Michael Vick one play. He could be Tom Brady the next play. It's I, I don't I, and I don't think people appreciate what they're watching right now. He's no, taking another step. You're right, brother. I, I went I went on the island. I want to say the island with Norma Princiati, where you she brings someone on, they have a take. I went on the island, I think like halfway through the season. I was like, I don't think anyone we we no one's talking enough about Patrick Mahomes, what he's doing this year. And I think you're seeing that even just exceed expectations as we go, which is a good tease on the island tomorrow. I'm gonna be on there talking about the offensive rookie of the year race. And I have a take. 
that uh, I'll, I'll leave with Nora Princiati. Make sure you tune into that. Make sure you tune into the rest of the feed. All throughout the playoffs, Ringer NFL feed is going to be popping off. Ruiz will be on it. Solak will be on it. You're going to get Nora involved. Danny Heifetz involved. Big shout out to the producers who are going to do it. Also, podcast supervisions by Arjuna Rampapal and Connor Nevins. This is the last Power Ranker show. Steve Ruiz, thanks for coming. Jason Goff, thanks for coming. Until next year, boys, the Ringer Power Ranking Show.